you know, we tend to take for granted the way that things are. We just assume that the way things are is, of course, the way things are, and why would they be any different? But, but I don't know if you ever stop to consider that things could be a lot different than the way they are, and, and maybe not always better. Maybe they could have been a lot worse than they currently are, but we just get used to it. We go, of course, this is the way things are. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Something so simple, like, like when you want to turn the volume up on your computer, Okay? We would say that's a very simple design feature of, of software uh, just to be able to turn my volume up. And, and so today, you know, the way you do it, depending on the computer you have, either you use your keyboard uh, and you have a, a button for it, or, or maybe you just have a little icon and you just drag the slider up. And that's how we go, yeah, that's, that's how you turn the volume up on a computer. But, but have you ever thought it could have been different than that? That when they were designing that, they could have said, you know what, let's go a different route. And let me give you a couple options that maybe you've never thought of, of how you might have to turn up the volume on your computer if they didn't do it the way that they did. Like, for example, what if this came up? Please make a noise as loud as you want the volume to be. Now listening. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, if you, like, work in a shared space with other people and you're like, <clears throat> Uh, you know, like you have to like f figure out some sound and, and whatever sound you make, however loud it is, that's your volume setting. And if you're watching a movie, you have to keep adjusting it, you know, and figure out the, the right volume. I think that would be amazing. It's a totally different experience uh, than what we're used to. Or for, for those of you that, uh, that will remember this, uh, what, what if this was the way that you had to turn the volume up or down? And that'd be amazing, like, the merging of technology, you know? And, and, and for a lot of us, like, this is a, a, a gesture that means something, right? Roll down your window. And then everyone who's younger is like, what are you doing? Like, why, why, what's wrong with your arm? You know, why are you doing that? But what if that was the way that you had to adjust the volume on your computer? You had to just sit there and spin that sucker until it got there. You see, we don't think about these things. We just go, of course this is the way that it is. But it would be interesting if you could go back and, and you could sit in on those design conversations when they were figuring out how are we going to have people adjust the volume on their computer. And you would figure out how we got to where we are today. And that's a little bit what we're going to do this entire summer. Today we begin our series going through the, the book of Hebrews. And, and we're bringing this whole new study and we're going to look at a, a lot of how we got to where we are today. And so if you've got your journals, I encourage you to get this out. Uh, you, you might notice this is a hefty journal. This journal will take you through the entire summer. And so, uh, I mean, this is like a record-setting journal, I think, uh, 11 weeks of this bad boy. So hold on to this, save it, write in it, uh, bring it back with you every week. This is going to be an incredible resource for you. Uh, hopefully years from now you go, hey, I want to, you know, look up something in Hebrews. And I remember we went through that, and you can pull out your book, and you can go back to all your notes you had on the book of Hebrews. Uh, now, if you would, get your Bibles out uh, and turn to... Hebrews, you got it, you're paying attention. Hebrews chapter one. Uh, we're gonna begin it today. Uh, and so here's what's super fun. You can just bookmark this for the whole summer. And every week you'll know exactly where to go to. And so you have to find it one time. It's in the New Testament. I'll give you a moment to find it. Uh, but once you find it, you can bookmark it. You can figure out your spot there. And we're gonna be in Hebrews for a few months now. And we're just gonna work our way through it. We're not gonna be able to get to every verse, to every passage. It would take us far longer than a, a couple months uh, if we were gonna do that. So we don't have that much time to spend on it. Uh, but we're gonna go just through a few of the major sections uh, of the book of Hebrews and, and see what, what uh, trends and what themes emerge and, and how we can see Jesus uniquely through this book. And I, I do want to tell you, uh, in case you're wondering, it's okay to read ahead. 
Okay, so you know sometimes you're in class and they're like, don't read ahead. You can read ahead. So if you're like, you know what, I want to be prepared. I'm going to read the book of Hebrews. Go for it. That would be great. And then you can come back on the weekend and go, hey, it's fresh in my mind. I've read it. I've seen it. Uh, and then you will be prepared uh, for these discussions. Now, a couple of things to note about the book of Hebrews, because again, we're going to spend a few months on this, so I want to lay a little bit of the groundwork today uh, that we will uh, use and will give you the context for what's going to happen for the rest of the series. Uh, one of the things you'll notice in the book of Hebrews, that again and again, uh, we will begin with an Old Testament concept, an Old Testament passage, an Old Testament reference, something with the Old Testament, and then the author's going to show us that it leads us now to something better. And so again, you're going to figure out here's where we came from and here's where we are now. And, and what you'll notice is uh, almost every time when they're, here's where we came from and, and here's the something better, the something better is Jesus. It's amazing. And you're going to see Jesus in a whole new way as the book of Hebrews explains him. And it explains him using a lot of Old Testament understanding. But here's why a lot of people don't understand the book of Hebrews. Because if you don't know these Old Testament references, you read this book and you're like, that's kind of weird. I'm not sure what that's a reference to. And you just, you know, blow on right past it because you're not quite sure about it. So we're going to try and do our best to, to show you here's what the Old Testament reference is. Here's what this is, you know, here's the point being made here. Here's how Jesus changes it. Here's how Jesus adapts it. Or here's what is better about Jesus than what they had before. And you're going to see this trend all throughout, uh, all throughout the summer. And so what you're going to see is what has led us, you know, to where we are today. But, but we've got something from the past, and now we have something better. You're going to see that theme over and over again. The second thing you're going to notice about Hebrews, well, you might not notice this, but it's important to understand, is that it's written in a very elegant Greek style. Now, the New Testament's written in Greek. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Um, but like any language, not all writing style is the same. So Hebrews is the best Greek of the New Testament. And so for all of you who are Greek scholars, Nope, nobody. Okay, uh, so just take my word on it, though. Uh, it, is, it is like the, 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 the most formalized, eloquent Greek of any New Testament book that we have. And you might wonder, well, why is that important? Well, it gives us a little bit of context as to what's going on and who wrote it and why they wrote it and, and a little bit about that. You see a lot of Greek themes uh, invested and, and, and represented in this writing. Uh, scholars have noted one guy in particular named Philo, who was an early Jewish philosopher. Uh, he was, uh, you know, very Hellenistic in his thinking. And, and they've noticed a lot of, of connection there in the book of Hebrews, of, of Greek thought of the day, of, of what's going on and how that is all shaping, you know, this understanding of who Jesus is. Now, Philo was from Alexandria. And Alexandria was a, a huge city at that time. You can still go visit today. I've been there multiple times. It's a beautiful city. Uh, but Philo lived in Alexandria. That'll be important to note in just a minute. Now, here's what's interesting about Hebrews. Uh, unlike the letters of Paul in the New Testament, we don't know who it's written from and who it's written to, which is a little weird if you think about it. Uh, so most of these books begin of, I, Paul, am writing this to you, you know, uh, to the church and whatever. And that's how you begin. It's, it gives you the context. Okay, we're listening in on a conversation between this person and these people. And then, then we can figure out what does that mean for us today if we listen in on that conversation. Hebrews begins right off the gate. Just throwing down theology. Uh, there, there's no context. There's no here's me, here's who I'm writing to. It just skips right past that, which is a little bit strange, but also makes this book unique. And so you go, well, well, what's going on here? Now, a lot of people wonder, 
Who wrote the book of Hebrews then? For a lot of time, uh, people thought Paul wrote it. Most scholars today will tell you they do not think that Paul wrote it. And so there's all these theories about who wrote the book uh, of Hebrews. And so uh, I want to give you my own theory. Uh, This doesn't really matter at all. uh, But in case you were wondering for the rest of the summer, who does Jeremy think wrote it? I'm going to tell you just so you don't have to wonder. You don't have to email me and ask me this question. So here's my theory, uh, based on the two details I just told you, okay, that uh, it's, it's a lot of, uh, of Old Testament references that are being applied. So whoever wrote it has a very thorough understanding of the Old Testament. The second thing I, t- I told you, it's heavy on, on this Greek style, Greek influence uh, that largely came out of Alexandria, okay. So based on those two things, I think it's a guy named Apollos. Now, you may not know who's Apollos. Apollos is referenced in the New Testament. There's one verse in particular uh, that I think really illustrates why he might be the author of Hebrews. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. So these two details in this verse are what we see as dominant understandings of Hebrews. He's a native of Alexandria. That's where Philo was from. Uh, Philo's thought, it is represented by whoever wrote it, was very familiar with Philo. Uh, Because uh, he's from Alexandria, that's an easy connection to go. He would have been very familiar with Philo, which we we see in the book. And he has a thorough understanding of Scripture. When someone introduces you, and that's one of the things they tell about you, this guy's got a thorough understanding of Scripture. There's something to note there, like, wow, this, this guy understood the Old Testament better than most is really what that, that verse is saying. And so I would say that makes uh, Apollos a great candidate uh, to be the author of Hebrews. But here's the point. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, and, and it really doesn't matter. Now, this may unsettle you a little bit because you're going, what do you mean it doesn't matter? Um, here's what you have to realize. When they were figuring out what books do we put together uh, to form what we now know as the Bible, they would look at the content, not, not just who they thought the author was and who the audience was, but the content. Does this fall in line? Does this, does this ring true to all these other things? And as they looked at the book of Hebrews, they went, yes, this absolutely does. This takes the Old Testament and it, it, it helps us to understand Jesus. And really Hebrews does it in a very unique way. And it's one of my favorite New Testament books for that reason. I love the way Jesus uh, is presented in the book of Hebrews. And so we'll have to go with uh, the early church father, Origen, who said 1,800 years ago that only God knows who wrote Hebrews. So that's what we'll have to land on, but it's probably Apollos. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just go there. Now, here's more important, the theme of the letter that you're going to see throughout the entire summer that I would encourage you, write this down because this helps you understand what you're going to see week in and week out and and helps you read the book of Hebrews uh, with with the proper context. The theme, in my words, would be this. The past has led to something better. Okay, the past has led to something better. Now, here's what you have to understand is, is you, can, you can get off with this verse on either side of it. So you can say, I only care about the past. And I've met Christians that this is true. They love the Old Testament. They love the law. They love the Ten Commandments. It's all about the past for them. Uh, and, and they miss that that was leading us somewhere. And so I would say you could go wrong by dwelling too much on the past. Uh, but the past has led to something better. 
Now you can also err on the side of going, I just want to focus on what's better, which is Jesus. And I don't want to read the Old Testament. I don't understand the Old Testament. I just want to throw that out. And I would say that's also an error. And I've met Christians who are in that camp. I think what Hebrews allows us to do, and, and better than any New Testament book, is to see how the past has led us to something better. To understand Jesus, why he's better, because we are understanding how he's related, how he has changed and updated what we understood and what we saw in the past. And so the book of Hebrews is the clearest view of the Christian approach to the Old Testament. How do Christians today, how do we read the Old Testament? Uh, if you're not, you know, uh, if you're not a Jew uh, and you're not experiencing God in, in the Jewish faith, which most of us would say that's not us, we're, we're Gentiles. Uh, so how, how do we experience the Old Testament? How do we read it? How do we know how to make sense out of it? Hebrews is our guide. Hebrews shows you the Christian way of reading the Old Testament. And that's why this book is so valuable. So let's begin reading together. We're just going to read a few verses today to set the stage for the rest of it. And then each week we're going to take a, a, a chunk of a chapter and we'll go through and we'll just see some of the key ideas that the author of Hebrews is going to develop throughout this book. So if you're with me in Hebrews chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. I love it. There's just no waste of time on it. Greetings. Great to have you. I mean, it's like, bam, here we go. Let's get right into it. And, and you know, the, the author is off and running. And there's a simple, incredibly profound premise here that begins in the opening lines of the book of Hebrews. And it's this. God has Spoken. You may go, what's the big deal of that? That's an incredibly profound truth. That right out of the gate, that's what we learn. God has spoken. How do we have a conversation about God? How do we know what God is like? How do we know how to follow God? How do we know what God wants from us? Well, God has spoken. That's how. It isn't because we figured him out. It isn't because we cracked the code, we solved the riddle. No, it's because God has spoken. And I would say it to you this way. If God hadn't decided to do this, if he decided I'm not going to reveal myself to you, we would never know what he's really like. We would never be able to figure this out. But we can because God has spoken. And so when you think about, hey, I wonder what God's like or I wonder what all this, uh, realize that, that we have an incredible advantage because we're not trying to crack the code. We just get to respond to what we've seen in the way that God has decided to reveal himself, what God has told us about who he is. Now, what we learn is that God has been giving us sketches of himself for generations. And so you can go to the Old Testament, you get a guy like Moses who, who has this experience with God, but it's a sketch of what God's really like. You can read the prophets, and I love Jeremiah. He's my favorite prophet. And you can read the prophets like Jeremiah, and you can learn so much about God, but it's a sketch of what God's really like. And then you get to the New Testament, and you get to Jesus, and you see an exact portrait of what God looks like. No longer do we have these sketches. No longer are we reading the notes about God. We are seeing God himself, what he actually looks like, which is why the Apostle Paul says it like this in Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
Well, how much of God is in Jesus? All of it. Is Jesus like, like mostly God? Does he like show us a lot of God? Like most of the time God looks like Jesus? No, no, no. All the time God looks like Jesus. Because in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives. God can fully fit himself into Jesus. That's what God looks like. And so when we begin to see this, we go, oh, we're not working through sketches anymore. We're not reading the notes about him. We are seeing God himself. And so throughout Hebrews, you you see that the author is going to take us on this journey and go, here's how all the past has been leading us to this focal point of Jesus Christ. And, And you go, oh, so that's all been getting us to him. But then when you watch what Jesus did, you begin to realize he has a weird relationship. With the past. And the way that he understands the Old Testament it is a very unique understanding. And for us to know him, for us to understand what he's doing, we have to know what he's doing with the past. The, the theologian Peter N. says it like this Jesus was God's climax to Israel's story, but he was not bound to that story. He pushed at its boundaries, transformed it, and at times left parts of it behind. That's a great setup to the book of Hebrews. Because this is what you're going to see. You're going to see there's some things that it looks like Jesus just simply fulfills. He, oh, I, I, I've carried that out. There's other things you're going to go, is he disagreeing with that? It, it, what's he doing there? There's other things that are going to look like, I think he just canceled it. I think he just removed that part. And, and this is the tension that you live in throughout the entire book of Hebrews, where you go, what is Jesus doing here? And, and again, this is incredible. It's all been leading up. Jesus is the culmination of everything that has gone before. It all has been leading us to him. And when you see this and when you realize this, it gives you an incredible appreciation for what he's inviting us to experience today. Keep reading in verse 3. It says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. There's so much loaded in these few few verses here. Let me break down a few of these phrases. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. I love that. Uh, The sun, Jesus, isn't just like... Like parts of God, like, oh, yeah, he, he shows you that part of God. He's the best of God, if you would, which is a weird expression because all of God is good. But, but this is what the, the, the glory of God, when God is just radiating his goodness, it looks like Jesus. And one of Jesus' key attributes, if you want to know what, what I have to understand about Jesus, that he's the glory of of God. He's not just like, yeah, that's what God looks like. It's like, that's what God looks like on his best day. This is the best part of God. It is so good. It looks like Jesus. It's the glory radiating from him. And you see this elsewhere once you begin to look for it. Now, Jesus' first miracle, we've talked about this before, was, was a very strange one. He was at a, a wedding party, and, and he decided he, when the wine ran out, uh, and instead of letting the party stop there, Jesus was going to turn water into wine. And, and so this is his very first miracle that he does. And a lot of people looked at that and went, well, this is like a weird miracle, right? It doesn't feel very spiritual to turn water into wine. And, and a lot of people went, well, why is he doing it? Is it some cheap party trick? Is it just Jesus showing off? 
But notice the way that, that the, the writer of uh, the Gospel of John says that John, he's going to describe why Jesus did this first miracle. Here's what he says in John chapter 2. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, Jesus is always about revealing glory. That's what he does. That's who he is. And you begin to see why in the book of Hebrews. That's part of what it means for Jesus to, to be fully God. Now, this is different than us uh, because we op- often don't understand this. We don't think in these terms. Let me give you a couple examples. Have you ever had a friend of yours say, hey, I want to introduce you to someone. I want, I want you to meet uh, this other friend of mine who, who you're going to love. And, and they hype this person up to you. And so eventually the, the day comes and you're going to meet this person who your mutual friend is trying to set up this connection. And then have you ever met that person and you went, eh. You know, so afterwards your friend's like, what would you think of them? And you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. You know, it didn't have the same reaction you had. And then have you ever heard this? Well, they were just having an off day. Like that. You didn't get a good, you got to meet them again. You got, you got to hang out with them again. Like, that's not really them. Like, you, you didn't see the best of them for whatever reason, right? We understand that, right? Like, oh, okay, I met them, but it wasn't fully them, right? It wasn't the best. They were having an off day. They were a little grumpy. They, you know, something wasn't right. And so I didn't get a good picture of them. Or, or maybe you're one of those people, uh, and you'll know who you are, where uh, you go, hey, um, don't talk to me in the morning, before I get my coffee, right? Anybody want, want to own up to this? Yeah, you know who you are. Uh, why? Because I'm not really me until I get my coffee. I, I got to get coffee in me, then I can be me. So if you talk to me before coffee, I am not responsible for what happens in that conversation. Well, all of these are expressions that we go, yeah, well, we, we weren't fully ourselves. We weren't fully transferring that. It is the opposite with Jesus, Jesus is completely, 100%, fully God. You don't see a glimpse of him. You don't see God on his off day. It is the fullest picture of God. And we're not even used to that because it's hard for us to be fully us sometimes. And we're not God. And yet it is hard to to be consistently fully ourselves. Which is why we live in this world where you, you just get used to things not being accurate. You get used to someone going, oh, I'm just off today. I'm just in a bad mood. Oh, okay, that's normal. We get used to that. We get used to knockoffs. That's just a part of our culture now. Like, oh, that's not the real thing, right? That's, that's a cheap imitation of it. And, and it's so normal. I, I just did a Google search to, to find what are some cheap knockoffs, and a few of them I thought were rather uh, humorous. Here's a toy you can get for your kids. Uh, you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Tortoises? You may notice something's a little off on that. And I love right on there, it just says tortoise, in case you didn't know what it was. Uh, you go, yeah, something's, something's a little off. That doesn't quite seem right. Or this toy, which is super creepy. Um, E3PO, anybody know this guy? <laughs> if E.T. and C3PO somehow mix together, you get E3PO. I, I don't understand what's happening here. Uh, but I love that he's tall here, then he's E.T. size here, and... A lot going on with that one. I'm not, I'm not sure what to do with that, but that's a little bit creepy. Uh, or maybe you want to give your kids a snack, and so you give them Oreos, but you couldn't find Oreos, so you make them some Boreos. It's close enough, you know, like, hey, they won't notice the difference. You know, there's, there's cream filling in the middle, whatever. Um, or, or this one made me laugh. Oh, let's get some new shoes. You got the letters right. You know, it's just, 
in the wrong order, I guess. And, and we just, you know, depending on where you shop, you may find these kind of things, you know. And you go, yeah, it's just normal. That's the way it works. That's, that's how our world is. We get so used to this that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the point that the author of Hebrews is making. That Jesus is fully God. It is not a knockoff. It is not a, a, a shadow of it. It is 100% the real deal. And you have never seen God like this until you've seen God in Jesus. And it's an incredible point that the author is going to hit over and over again throughout this book. The next phrase, that he is the exact representation of his being. Not, not just like a little knockoff. Like he is the exact Thing. Uh, in Greek, this is literally, he is the character of his being. And, and that word is where we get the English word character. Uh, it's a Greek word. And, and it was used to describe the way you would uh, make a coin. You would, you would stamp a coin. This is before the printing press, right? So, again, go to their mentality. The most accurate way you could, you could show uh, the, the resemblance of someone was through a coin in that day. That was like the best that they had. And so uh, he's using an analogy here that we go, oh, wow, that's impressive. And so just like you could say, hey, I'm stamping the picture of Caesar on this coin. And then I'm giving you the coin and I can say, who is that? And they go, oh, that's Caesar. I, I recognize that, right? That to them was like, whoa, that's, I mean, that's like Photoshop on steroids. Like I can't believe I saw Caesar's face, you know, on that. That's the point that they're making, that you can see that. But Jesus is the stamp of God. You can look at Jesus and go, oh, I've seen, that's God. I, I've seen what he looks like. He's using this, this modern uh, analogy to him. Uh, but it's an incredible point that he's making. And so Christianity says that if you want to know what God looks like, it's best seen through the Son, through Jesus. That's how you see what God looks like, which is different than every other religion in the world. I was going to tell you God is like this or God is like that. or Christianity says, no, God is Jesus. That is what God fully looks like. Now here's the, the part, and we'll begin closing with this. This is, this is maybe uh, the most mind-blowing part for you today. This is worth the price of admission if you haven't enjoyed anything yet. Here's this phrase. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Why is that so profound? You ever thought about after the cross, after death, after the burial, after the resurrection, what's Jesus up to these days? What's he doing? Hebrews tells us he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here's the reality. If you've got work to do still, you don't sit down. Right? I mean, if you're on a job, if you're on the clock and you're getting paid to do something, uh, let, let's assume for the illustration you're getting paid to do manual labor, and someone, a supervisor shows up and you're sitting down, what does that imply? You're either done or you're not working. Right? I mean, it's not, it's not a, a good thing if you're supposed to be doing something. If you've got a job left to do and you're sitting down, there's going to be a problem there. Unless the job is done. Unless you go, there's no more work to be done. It's, it's finished. Which is, in fact, what we hear Jesus say on the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says this. And in Jesus' final moments alive on the cross, he says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He's going, look, I, I did what I came here to do. There's nothing left Undone. It is finished. 
and commenting on that verse, the pastor Judah Smith said it like this. Jesus said it is finished. The more I think about this potent little phrase, the more convinced I am that we need a bigger estimation of God and a smaller estimation of sin. The reality is we get so consumed with our story of what we've got going on. And Hebrews is inviting us to consider an incredible truth that Jesus is sitting down. He's not overwhelmed. He's not overworked. He's not overpowered. He is sitting down. I don't know what you think about how that will change your day-to-day life, but if you understand it, it should change everything. I want you to think about all the problems in your life that you're still trying to solve today. All the ones you brought in here with you today. You you, you brought them right in here. They're, They're sitting on your shoulders. They're weighing heavy on you. Think of all those problems, all the things that haven't gone the way you had planned them to go. And so now you're dealing with that. All the things that you're trying to fix about your life right now. And you haven't fixed it yet, but you're, you're working on it. All those things that you are worried about. Maybe when you lay in bed at night, maybe when you're just quiet, those worries begin to creep in. All those things that you're afraid might happen. The, if this happens, then and you're just, your anxiety, your fear gets the best of you. Now in light of all those things that, that you brought in here with you today, I want you to consider that Jesus is sitting down. Jesus is looking at you. And he's, he's not nervous. He's not anxious. He's sitting down. He's inviting you to experience him in that way. And I would suggest that if we fully understood this simple idea, it would change a lot of how we live. It would change a lot of our response today. Because he's inviting us to take our eyes off of our own situation, off of our own abilities, off of our own agendas. And instead look at what Jesus has already done. That he has finished his work. He has sat down in the right hand of heaven. And now he's inviting us to experience him and what he has already done for us. You know, it reminds me a little bit about how people sell mirrors on Craigslist. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you buy something off Craigslist, you normally want to see a photo of whatever it is that you're trying to buy. But the problem with a mirror, if you ever try to sell a mirror, is that it's really hard to get a picture of a mirror without being in the picture of the mirror. Uh, So I don't know if you've thought about this, but this is a problem. If you ever search on Craigslist, you see a lot of people trying to solve this problem. How do I show you what the mirror looks like without showing you me as I'm taking the photo? Because most of us don't want to see the photo of the person we're buying. We just want to see the item. And, And it's led to a few comical solutions as people attempt to solve this problem. Let me give you a few examples. Like this one. Look, I'll have some friends hold it for me. That way I won't be in it. Except she's still in it, right? And you go, oh, well, you, you got close. You, you're not fully in the mirror frame, but you're, you're still in it a little bit. Or, or this next one, who this is a great solution. I know I'll use my foot to take the photo. Which hats off to you. I mean, that's impressive. I don't know how you did that. But guess what? We can see your foot. Uh, it's still in the photo. Or perhaps my favorite solution
if I cover myself in a sheet like a ghost, <laughs> they can't see me. This is like a little kid playing hide-and-go-seek, where they go in the backyard and they just like cover their eyes and like, I can't see you, so you can't see me. And it's like, I got bad news for you. We can see you and your legs are really white. Uh, I, I, know, I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. But here's, here's the point. What do all of these have in common? None of them were able to get out of the shot. That's the problem with selling a mirror on Craigslist. You end up being in it. But it's not actually a Craigslist problem. It's a, it's a sin problem. Because a lot of us are trying to get out of our own shot and we don't know how to do it. You see, you're trying to solve the problems in your life. But guess what? It keeps being about you. And even some of the ways that we describe God, we go, oh, God is like this and God is like that. And, and if someone's really listening, they're going, actually, that sounds a lot about you. I, I, I'm hearing a little bit about God, but, but a lot of it sounds just like you're in the shot. You want to know why some of your problems are the way that they are? Because you're in the shot. And Jesus is inviting you to look away from yourself, from your abilities, and see what he's doing. And see the fact that he has already finished all that needed to be done. Here's what I've realized in the years I've been a pastor is that a lot of Christians, we, we say we believe this and we mean it. Oh, I love this. I love that Jesus, he's finished it. He's sitting down. That's great. I love that. But a lot of those Christians live as if that were not true. We live as if it's still up to us. I still got to figure things out. I still got to solve this. I still got to get everything in line. And, and we negate the reality that we say we believe, that Jesus has finished it. The author of Hebrews tells us that he's now sitting down. He's not overwhelmed. He's not overmatched. He's not overpowered. He's sitting down, saying, I, I want you to experience me. I want you to lift your eyes off of yourself, off of your own issues, and realize what I'm offering you. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to wrap up these services in a unique way uh, that we don't normally do, but uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to this, to go, you know what, I I'm in my own shot here. I, I, I can't, you know, seem to get out of this. And every time I try, I just end up, it becomes more about me. And if you want to really embrace the fact that Jesus is sitting down, we're going to give you a chance to respond the way that Jesus himself invited us to respond through this act called baptism. And baptism is not some special supernatural thing. It's a way for us uh, to reenact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We go down into the water. We come back out to align ourselves with what Christ has done for us. It's a statement that we make to say, I choose what you have done for me, not what I'm going to still do, not what is left undone for me. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And our band is going to lead us in some singing. We're going to give you a chance to respond right now. And here's the okay, If you've been here for a while, you've seen the way we do this. But uh, we're going to invite you right now in just a moment to get baptized in your clothes. Uh, and you're going to make a memory out of it. And I promise you, this will be a line in the sand moment you're not going to forget. We're going to give you a baptism shirt. We've got all sizes. Uh, we'll give you a, a shirt to wear. Uh, you can put your shirt back on when you're done. Uh, we're going to invite you to get into the baptistry in your clothes and go, you know what? I don't want to be in the shot anymore. I don't want this to be a story just about what I can do. I want to truly live and embrace what Hebrews is telling me, that Jesus has finished it. And if I had a larger estimation of that and a smaller estimation of my sin, I would realize 
he is sitting down. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you will, let's all stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to have some of our staff and some of our volunteers that will be uh, up to the front here. And, and uh, I'm just going to invite you. If right now the Spirit is nudging you, it, it, Spirit is moving on your heart and you're going, oh, this is me. I, I, I feel it right now. That as we're singing, I'm just going to invite you to come forward and, and go to the baptistry. And, and we're going to get you all set up and we're going to have however many people uh, God is, is moving on right now to say, you know what, this is your moment. And then we're going to worship together, we're going to celebrate together, and we're just going to have a moment to say, God, we don't want to be in the shot. We don't want it to be about our solutions anymore. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. Jesus is sitting down. He is inviting you to experience his unbelievable goodness. And it doesn't have to be about your solutions, about your efforts, about your abilities anymore. When you surrender to the cross. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come forward. And if anybody wants to, we're going to have a time to celebrate those who want to have a line in the sand, who want to make a memory today and say, I'm going to be different because I'm submitting my life to him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we struggle to fully understand what we're learning about you. That you are completely and totally God. That you are what God looks like. God looks only like you. And Jesus, uh, to, to think about what you're doing now, that you are in heaven sitting down because your work is finished. May that be a sweet sound to our ears as we look at our problems and our fears and our anxieties and those things that weigh heavy on us. And so, God, I pray now for a moment of boldness for anyone who has not drawn this line in the sand, who has not said, I choose you. I choose the one who is sitting down. God, would you give us this, this moment to celebrate together as a church family, how you are moving in our midst, how you are inviting us beyond ourselves. May we see your goodness. May we see that you are the exact representation of the glory of God. May we respond accordingly, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.